0: Open your Bibles to Psalm 63, Psalm 63. And those of you that know me well know that I like to teach by asking questions. And I think it keeps your minds engaged. But also, it reminds me that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. (laughs) Some of you have insights into Scripture and have experiences in walking with God that we can all be blessed by. I also know, because some of you have told me that some of you are intimidated when I ask questions. In fact, uh, I remember when I first came to Elmira Baptist Church, um, Pastor Harder was not a pastor who asked a lot of questions in, in this setting. And so I would ask a question, and I have learned from my time as a teacher that if I expect an answer, I've got to give you all time to answer. So I'd ask a question, and i just stand here. And one of the pe- people, one of the members came to me. She was kind. She was respectful. She said, Pastor, you are scaring us. You ask a question, and then you just stand there, and we don't know what to say. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. That's not my intent. I, I, the reason I'm just waiting is I'm giving you time to form your thoughts. So don't be intimidated. If I ask a question and you don't know the answer, I'm not likely to call on you. Um, I really would like you to raise a hand or, or speak out so I know you're ready to participate. I'm not going to uh, call on you. I did have a special radar when I was a teacher to identify those students who are not paying attention. And so uh, I would call on them in the middle of class when they weren't paying attention. A lot of times they weren't paying attention. They had no idea what even the question was. And this one kid, he'd gotten moved to the front of the classroom so to help him pay attention. At the end of the class one day, he said, you know... Teacher, I paid attention this whole class, and you didn't call on me one time. I said, I know. You were paying attention. <laughs> so um, I won't do that to you, though. If I, I sense that you're not paying attention, I'm not going to jump you. Uh, so I need your help, is what I'm saying to, in, in, this, in this class, uh, to participate. And where you're not comfortable, just don't, don't feel like you're on the spot. But if you know an answer, you have some insight, please, please speak up. Psalm 63, what I'd like to do is read to you uh, the first um, four verses. Uh, it's hard to stop. but let's read the first four verses. I think we're only going to get through two this morning, but let's read the first four. Psalm 63:1 says, "O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee." My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. That's the text that I want us to consider. And I want to start right there in the very first uh, uh, sentence, O God... Thou art my God. We need to remember that because God loved us and he chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, that God is our God. We need to focus on him. That's what David's starting with. Here. I'm going to focus on you because you're my God. Now let's start with that thought about what is a God. I don't mean who is the true God. I'm not asking who the God of the Bible is. I just mean in general, what is a God? And while you think about that, I want to tell you why I had spent some time thinking about this with some other uh, Christians. We were in Mongolia, and uh, there was a dispute about the best way to translate G-O-D, God, in uh, uh, the Mongolian Bible. Now, the Hebrew word, is El or Elohim, and the Greek word is Theos. And if you know Hebrew and Greek, you know that these words are not specific to the God of the Bible. Those words El and Elohim and Theos are used to describe in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are also used to describe false gods like Baal and Asheroth. And in the New Testament, you remember that there were some cities that Paul came to, the the one city, Derby, he came to The people thought he was a god. They thought that Barnabas was Jupiter and that Paul was uh, his, uh, 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 Mercury is is the name of the the god. They thought that they were gods and when they said these people are gods, that word in the Greek is, is theos. So we were struggling because there was a dispute about what word to use to translate those Hebrew and Greek terms into Mongolian. Some people argued and they said, well, listen, every time you see Elohim or Theos in the Bible, we need to use a term that is completely separate from anything in their current religion, which was Buddhism, completely separate than anything in Buddhism. It needs to be so separate that they won't misidentify who this God is. And there was another group that said, well, you're going to have a problem there. Because when you get into the Old Testament, you get into the New Testament, you're going to have the term God, the English term God, referring to things that are false gods. Just last night, I was with a young man. We were reading through Judges chapter 2, and it says, God accuses his people, you have turned to false gods. And how are you going to translate that? So there was a a dispute among uh, uh, Christians there in Mongolia, and uh, there was some of us that said, well, let's go back and, and think a step behind this. The real question is, when we talk about little g God, or little g gods, what do we mean? What is a God? I'm not talking about the true God. I am just mean, in, in man's religion, what is a little g God? Because David starts this psalm by saying, oh God, referring to the God of the Bible, Thou art my God. Sheila. Exalted elevated person. I love that. Exalted and elevated. Whether you are talking to a pantheist, well, not a pantheist, excuse me, polytheist, that's where I was going to go. Whether you're talking to a polytheist or a monotheist, we all would agree that when we say the word God, we're talking about a being that is on a different level than humans. Now, unfortunately, there are liars that will tell us that humans can raise ourselves up to that level and become as gods. And where in the Bible have you heard that before, that we can become as gods? Yeah, what happens in Genesis 3, Betty? The serpent. The snake, yes, the serpent. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he said, if you eat this fruit, you can be as God's. I had some Mormons come to my door one time, and uh, we had a long discussion because I was trying to help them see truth. Much, I was using the same method of questions that I'm, I'm using here. I was going to say much the same way, I'm, but I'm not treating you the same way because they're wrong. They, they don't know what they're talking about. So I'm asking them some questions, and one of them came to the point where he said, well, you know, you can become a God. And I said, that, stop. I said, you just said you can become a god. Yeah, I did. said, doesn't that bother you? What was the original temptation in the Garden of Eden? That if they ate that fruit, they would become as gods, knowing both good and evil. I, I don't think that Mormon man had ever considered that before. But there are still religions that teach man can become a god. But even those religions believe that gods, again, just general term, gods, are in a class all their own. They're in an exalted or elevated position. Thank you, Sheila, for that. What what else do we think of when we think of little g, gods, people, not you and I, not this room, but just people in general, when they use the term God, what might they be thinking of? Yeah. People use, you know,
1: anything in order to uh, make them have happiness. Mm-hmm. Or to make, sometimes people think their own self mm-hmm. is above God, mm-hmm. whether it's a capital G or a small G. Right. Right. But all of these things that we will put before Him will come back and it really doesn't have a meaning.
0: Yeah. It ends up being empty. You'll notice in your Old Testament reading that many times it'll say their gods, referring to the heathen, their gods are vanity. That's what she's saying. They're empty. You follow that path and you get to what you think is the fulfillment, the end of that path, and you find there's nothing there. It's sort of like chasing the rainbow. Any of you ever chased a rainbow? I know. You're still looking, aren't you, sister? (laughs) You know, you keep you can drive as much as you want toward that rainbow. You're never going to get to that rainbow. And a lot of people are, their gods, big G, little g, she's right, are really just ways they're trying to maintain control. And what's amazing about our God, the true God, is that we don't control him. We surrender to him. Now, I don't know about you, that's hard for me. Because I like to be in control, don't you? But what God asks us to do is surrender to him. Now, many people, these, these false gods, they are trying to manipulate these gods to make them happy, to get their way, to control. And uh, that's often how we can identify that something's become a god in a person's life. They're not, they're not submitted to that god, as, as I think people should be submitted to God. They're trying to manipulate that god. Peter, you had something. Yes, yes, personal relationship. Yeah. That's where we're headed with this. And we could talk a long time about false gods. Let's get to the true God. God wants to have a personal relationship with us. Now, it starts at salvation. You can't have a personal relationship with God unless you're his child. But you realize that it doesn't end there. The day of my salvation isn't, okay, I've reached the pinnacle of Christianness, and now I'm just, I'm just going to coast. No, it's a daily walk with Him. Let's imagine that I got married. I did. Let's I, not imagine I got married. I did get married, okay. I got married about 28 years ago now. But let's imagine that the day I got married, I thought, this is the best day of my life. I don't want anything to change. I'm just, I don't need to talk to my wife anymore. I don't need to spend time with her. I mean, we're married. I that would that'd be a very sad marriage if the wedding ceremony was the last time I had any serious interaction with my wife. But sometimes people treat God that way. The true God, they, they get saved and they're excited about it and then it's like, that's good, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Well, God in His graciousness and in His mercy will grant you eternal life, but you're missing out on that daily relationship with God that he wants you to have with him. And that's where David's at here. Oh God, you are my God. You, you recognize David grew up in a polytheistic environment. I'm not saying his family were polytheists, but we know there was a garrison of Philistines in Bethlehem, which was his city. Philistines didn't worship the true God. They had a bunch of false gods. And David quickly recognized, and I mean quickly by at a young age in life, in his early teens, maybe, maybe even as a child recognized those gods, the false gods, those gods are vanity, they're empty, they're worthless. You are the only true God. So he starts there. Oh God, thou art my God. Let's go on to the next thought here. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Early. Not only do we need God to be our God, but we need God early. Now, early is a very general adverb, so let's think about when. When we say, I need God early, when um, David says, early will I seek thee, when? When is early? And I know that's a vague question, but Esther, go ahead.
1: Um, I like to, to uh, think about that. It's like early in the morning,
0: Yes. The soon as you wake up, yes.
1: there's a hymn that comes to my mind. And I think the words. But before I get out of bed, I always say, God, I want to feel you today. I want you to walk by me today. I need your discernment today. And I need you to help me for everything that I'm going to run into today. Mm -hmm. Because I know that you're already there. Mm -hmm. And even when I get in my car, the first thing I do before I turn on my ignition Say, I oh God, I want you to ride with me today. Wow! I need your help today, and as long as I feel that we are surrendering to mm-hmm. Him, He is going to give that back to us, knowing that He is our God. Amen. And we are putting Him above all. Else.
0: All else. I like that. First thoughts of her day. God, I need you. I like that's wonderful. My problem is, I got into a bad habit in Mongolia. Uh, Mongolia, when I first moved there, we didn't have any, any internet access at all, but eventually we were able to get a, a, a line into our house, and uh, the problem was the more people who got on the internet, the slower it became. But Mongolians aren't early risers, so if I got up at six o'clock in the morning, my internet was reasonably fast, so I got into a habit, first thing when I got up, I'm contrasting myself with what Esther does, she's thinking, Lord, I need you get up and I'd read the news. Now, if you want to wake yourself up in the morning, maybe that's the way you do it. But the news usually brings, to me, bad news, right? I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. How can this be? Why is this happening? How we start our day is very critical. And I appreciate Esther. I agree with her. We want to start our day with God. Now, some of you are not morning people and you, you can get up and sort of go through the motions of being alive and you don't really wake up till later in the morning. Maybe for you, it's best for you to wait until that later time to have your time with God. But all of us can start our day, as Esther does, just by acknowledging, God, I need you, I need your wisdom, I need your grace, I need your help, I need your direction today. That's excellent. Early in the day, so I ask the question, when do we need God early? Early in the day, I like that. Are there other earlies that we can encourage ourselves that we need God? Yes, who said that? Thank you. Early in our lives. Now, I know some of us wish we would have sought God when we were much younger. We waited until we were way too old to find God. So let's, nobody in here is is particularly young, Grace is, but other than Grace, we're all, you know, middle-aged. Let's make it a point to encourage the youth of Elmira Baptist Church to seek God when they're young. Now, I'm so grateful for parents who make their children come to church. I I did that. My parents did that. You probably did that. But it's not enough to get them to come to church, right? We want them to have a relationship with God that is real and vital to them from as young an age as possible. And we know David did, because by the time he fights Goliath as a teenager... He's already saying, who is this massive giant who thinks he can stand against the armies of the living God? So he's already has that relationship with God from a young age. So early in the day, early in our lives, let me give you a third one, early before trouble comes. Because often we're very good about running to God when there's a problem. And we say, God, we got this problem. By the way, God, God, God loves you. He wants you to bring the problems. Don't, don't misunderstand and think that God doesn't want you to come with the problems. Come with this, your problems. But don't wait until you have a problem to come to God. Make it a point to go to God early before trouble comes. So many, As a pastor, I've observed so many people, they're just sort of bebopping through life and it's, things are great. And I'm trying to get them to focus on their relationship with God and on serving him, and on loving him, but no, no, it's all good. And then, boom, there's a medical diagnosis that they're not expecting. Or they lose a job. I mean, they're doing great and making all kinds of money, and then they lose their job. Or their house burns down. Or their child dies. Just tragic things happen to people. And then suddenly they're, where is God? Now, I don't mean to be cruel. This is not the time to do it. But in my mind, I would like to turn it around and say, where have you been? God's wanted to have a relationship with you for decades now, and you've just been bebopping through life, treating God like he's just an accessory, like he's a piece of jewelry you can put on when you feel like it. And then when bad things happen, you want God to give you an answer. I I don't understand that. We all have to have a relationship. We're all going to have trouble and trauma in our lives. Yours may be different than mine, but we're all going to have trouble. What we need to do is we need to seek God early, so that when the trouble comes, we've, we've already got a relationship with him, and we run to him, and he knows, well, he always knows who we are, but he knows who we are, so to speak. He, he, we've, we've got a daily walk with him that's already established. So seek God early in the day, seek God early in our lives, and seek God early before trouble comes. Any others before we move on to the next one here? He's going to give us a very rich word picture Let's look at it. Verse 1. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Let's quickly do, we're going to try to get three things done. The first thing we want to ask ourselves, and I'm going to ask you, where might David have experienced a place with no water? Where might David have? Then we're going to ask ourselves, have we ever experienced a place with no water? And then we're going to draw an application. So let's start with David. Was that your hand, Miss Sheila? Oh no, that was Beverly's. Be- Be- Beverly, Sheila's already answered a question. Beverly, go ahead. out in the field. Yeah. Shooting, yeah. They make out big water for miles. Right. His job was to lead a sheep from pasture to pasture and water source to water source. But between those water sources, he spent time in the Judean wilderness and. If you've ever traveled to Israel, it was, a, it was amazing to me to look, and on one side of the hills, it's often green, but there's a rain shadow on the other side of the hills where it's often rocky and dry. And there's no water there. And of course, as a shepherd, he would have taken his sheep wherever he could have found pasture and water. So I'm sure there were times he passed through what we would call a desert. There's no water there. Now, it's one thing to be thirsty and then realize, oh, I'm thirsty. I've got to go get a drink and go to the faucet or, you know, grab a water bottle, whatever. We have water constantly at hand. We don't recognize how serious it is to be without water. When I, Again, Mongolian story. I was living, uh, not, yeah, I was living in Mongolia, but I was in the city. We always had water there. We had traveled out to the countryside. One of the things I noticed about the families, the Mongolian families who lived in the countryside or who had lived in the countryside and had moved to the city and now we're traveling back to visit their families. They knew where all the water sources were. We'd be driving along the road, oh yeah, two kilometers. They use kilometers, they're not miles. Miles. Two kilometers over there, there's a spring. Or Yeah, over on the other side of that hill, there's a little uh, uh, stream. They knew where all the water sources were. They knew which water sources were perennial. There's always water there, and there were some that would say, well, there's a spring over there, but it only flows in the summer, or it's only around for a few weeks in the spring. Now, why do you think these nomads, Mongolian nomads, why do you think they knew where all these water sources were? Go ahead, Sheila. Yeah, water is important to life. And you get out where you can't find any water, you will... Die. You'll begin to hallucinate and you'll die quicker than a lack of food. You need water more regularly even than you need food. So David says, look, I know what it's like to be out in a desert where there's no water. And I'm thirsty and I want, (laughs) There, there isn't any. He says, that's how I feel about you, God. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Let me state it this way. We need God to be our God. We need God early. And we need God desperately. I mean desperately. I mean we can't live without him. Now we think we can. And yeah, again, as I mentioned, some people just sort of going through life and not paying attention. And and you'd say, well, they're living without God. No, no. If that's our attitude, then we will. As long as you're content to live without God, you will. If you don't personally develop a thirst for God, then, yeah, you can just sort of go through life. But David had such a relationship with God that he realized he needed God desperately. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story, true true account of what Mongolians do. If a Mongolian, who, they often ride horses as they travel some distance. If a Mongolian gets caught in between water sources unexpectedly, sometimes they have blizzards and they can't make as much progress as they expected or maybe they don't know where they're going as well as they thought and they're in between water sources and they're desperate for a drink, Mongolians will open up a vein in their horse's neck and drink the horse's blood so that they can survive until they get to their next water stop. Now, I don't know about you, you would have to be pretty thirsty, I think, to do that. That's how desperately we need God. We need to have a relationship with God, and, and, and um, Esther expressed it by saying accurately, every morning when she wakes up, she's thinking, I need God. Now, I don't know about you, it's easy for me to realize I need God on Sundays, because I'm a pastor, and I've got to get up here and speak. What about Monday morning when the pressure's off? Yeah, I need God Monday morning too. And Tuesday morning and Wednesday. I need God. We all need God desperately. And the reason that we don't experience more of God's presence in our life often is because we don't realize how desperately we need God. Some of it comes down, some of it comes down to a lack of humility. Hold your place there in, in uh, Psalm 63. And turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Let me encourage you to take this verse home and if you've not spent much time meditating on it, meditate on it. Here's Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus saith the high and lofty one, there's Sheila's idea of, it, of being exalted and elevated. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, it's a reminder of God's eternal nature, whose name is holy, there's his holiness, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In Psalm 51, David puts it this way A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Brokenness and contrition. The humility of heart that says, God, I need you. Yes, I need God's forgiveness. Because despite knowing I ought not to, I still sin. I need God's forgiveness, I need God's grace. Because I can't live the Christian life in my own strength, I need his long suffering, the same long suffering he has for me. I need that forbearance with other people, and we could just go down the list of God's attributes. I need God desperately, and the reason that we don't have God so often is because we don't realize how desperately we need Him. So now back to Psalm sixty-three broken and contrite heart. Uh, Let me tell this illustration of of this truth so I can focus on it a a few more minutes here. I met a fellow one time and he had a series of issues, sin issues and selfishness issues that had really destroyed his marriage and he knew that and he was really at his wit's end and he came to me um, now in his extremity, I had not met him before this time, he had not been a member of my church, but he was in his, this extremity, and he came to me, and he said, I, you know, I, I need help. So we opened up the scriptures, and we looked at what the Bible had to say about sin, and boy, he was so broken and contrite. He was crying, and uh, I don't know all that goes on in people's heads and hearts, but outwardly, it seemed like he was truly repentant. And that only lasted for a few weeks, and then after a few weeks, he basically said, I'm, I'm summarizing, but he basically said, I thought I was going to get my wife back. I said, no, no, I, <laughs> it's not what I said. I didn't say that. I was pointing out your sinfulness and that God loves you and that God, God can help you. Yeah, but I want my wife back. And instead of maintaining that humble and contrite spirit that, as I sought as an outside observer, that led him to the Lord he decided to take matters into his own hands. And that made him more and more frustrated as he tried to chase down his wife and just pushed her further and further away from himself. My heart goes out to him because I see what God says in Isaiah 57, 15, that God dwells with the one who is broken and contrite in heart. And as long as I maintain that humble spirit and that surrendered spirit to God's will... I find life's fulfillment. I find there's joy, there's peace. I don't always get what I want, but there's joy, there's peace. There's that sense of contentment, knowing that God's going to provide all my needs. But when I abandon that humility and I say, I deserve, and I'm owed, and why doesn't God do this for me? Then I lose that peace and that joy. We need God desperately But we don't need him as a butler or a servant. We tell him what to do and he does it for it. I don't mean that kind of desperate need for God. I mean that relationship with God that is rock solid despite the circumstances around us. Despite not getting what we really wanted. So I need God to be my God. I need God early. I need God desperately. Let's go back to Psalm 63. And this will be the last topic. Well, maybe I'll get two more in here. Psalm 63, now verse 2. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. To see thy power. God, excuse me, David, here in the psalm, is expressing, I need God's power. I need God's power. Now, I'm, I'm afraid, I, I think you all are mature enough, but sometimes when I'm teaching this truth to younger people, I think sometimes, we're, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we sort of see God's power sort of like comic book character superpowers. You know, I can see through walls or I can fly. That's not the type of power that we're, we're talking about here. When, when David said, I want to see your power, yes, David had seen some pretty dramatic things in his life, He had seen uh, the Goliath, the giant, killed by a stone thrown out of his sling. But there's a lot of other things David had seen that were not quite so spectacular that were equally God's power. Let's step away from David and think about our own lives. In what ways should we expect and in what ways do we need God's power in our daily lives? Yes, Peter. Pain and the hurt in yeah. Say that again, Peter. Helps see the pain and the hurt in others. God helps us to see the pain and the hurt in others. We naturally are inward focused. I know my own pain and I don't know why you don't care more about my pain. I'm being facetious here. right? Why don't you see how much hurt I'm experiencing? But you know what God does is He opens our eyes and He helps us to see there are people around us who are hurting and in pain. And we have in many, many times we have a measure of help that we can give them. And then we give it to them and they slap our hand and we say, okay, forget it, I'm never helping you again. That's when we need God's power too to remind us that just like God loves me and is patient with me, I need to love others and be patient with them. So God's power opens our eyes to the pain and hurt of the people around us. God's power gives us the forbearance and the patience and the long-suffering to continue to reach out to people as He directs us to without becoming bitter or jaded or cynical? What other ways? Those are excellent. What other ways do we need God's power just in our daily lives? Yes, Sheila. Yes, you're exactly. Right. What are some of the things that He enables you to do? sleep Yes. Yeah. So in, in Sheila's case, a husband with a long illness, taking care of her husband, getting very little sleep, and yet somehow able to do that. Um, a similar one, uh, not that I've experienced, but these mothers with little kids. You got two or three little kids running around the house, and they get very little sleep. I don't know how. I don't know how my wife did it. I don't. I do believe that God enables us to joyfully serve others even when we lack and that is his grace and his power in our life that's excellent what else do we got? these are good examples yes please Alice mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I come to this town here and they say, Oh, no. Okay. They're <laughs> <laughs> so then, they day, I made a special trip out here where each one of the grandkids was back there. Right.
0: So we would be there. And the other grandparents still were there. Yeah. So at least they have both grandkids. Now that hurts. Right? Mm mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. And I'll take my car and I'll take my share. Yeah. if I don't I feel blessed. I've got two angels of me. Amen. 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 Right. And I do feel blessed. It took years
1: to feel it. But
0: I do. So God's grace gets us through the pain of loss, whether it's a child, a spouse, a parent, loved one. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Yeah. Others. I've, I've got a few more in my mind that I want to get out, but I want to give you a chance to. Yes, Beverly?
1: hmm And I was always so thankful that when I got home, got to it that, that my car stayed got me there and, and one time I was on the side of the road and, and I went to a house and and I was able to use their phone.
0: Wow. To, uh, to call AAA so God watches over
1: us yeah. in the most ordinary things. Yes.
0: Yes, yes. God's uh, protection that we don't notice because nothing happens. <laughs> we notice that when something happens, it's like, God, where were you? God's like, I'm still here, but I've also been with you the last 25 years when you've driven without any, any trouble at all. I was an hour, a year and a half without being with my husband and child because we had to sell a business. I had to finish selling the business. Oh, wow. Right. I had a place to stay. But but that year and a half was not good. Sure. But there's always different blessings from it. My husband and son really bonded really well together. So I'm thankful that God put us in that situation. Yeah. Needed, yeah. It wasn't the happiest time, but it was a learning time. Yeah. That's part of this morning's message, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but God chooses our circumstances to build us and build our faith. And in Beverly's case, he chose for her husband and son to be in one geographic location while she sold a business and was in a different geographic location. And while that separation was difficult, God also provided grace for that as well. Can, can I tell a joke? Not to demean, to make little, but this, is, this joke always gets me. There were two guys, they died about the same time, and they showed up at the pearly gates, and St. Peter was there. By the way, none of this is biblical, okay? Just, that's why it's a joke. Showed up at the pearly gates. One of them was a cab driver, and one of them was uh, a pastor. And the cab driver showed up first, and Peter said, you know, God bless you, and I'm going to show you. And he took him to this, just this beautiful mansion. And the pastor got all excited. He thought, boy, if the cab driver gets a mansion like that, what am I going to get? So they walked on down the road, and the houses got smaller and smaller, and pretty soon it was just this little, you know, cozy cottage. And Peter said, okay, this is where you get for eternity. And the pastor said, I don't understand. I I really don't understand. The cab driver, he gets this beautiful mansion. I just get this cozy cottage. Peter said, yeah, because while the cab driver drove, people prayed. And while you preached, people slept. So I try not to be one of those preachers who puts people to sleep because I don't want just this little cottage. No, God will be fair when we get to heaven. I'm not worried about that. But the point is God protects us even when we're not thinking about it. Now, Esther mentioned each time she gets in her car, she prays for protection. But I'll, I'll be frank. There's a lot of times I get in my car, I don't pray for protection. And God still protects me. Isn't God good? Now, I need to pray more for protection. I agree with Esther. But God is good even when we are not even thinking about him. Let me mention one more way that we need God's power. We need God's power to live victorious Christian lives. That is to put sin aside and live selflessly for the Savior. Uh, We need God's power every day. We live in an increasingly wicked society where more temptations are being thrown at us, not less. And some of those temptations are real obvious. Things on the outside that other people can see. A lot of those temptations are internal. Things like fear and anxiety and worry and gossip. Whether it's the internal sins, whether it's the external ones, God's grace gives me the victory to live according to the Bible. And our society needs to see living examples of God's grace. When people come to... I'm going to pick on Sheila here. She's a friend of mine. When they come to Sheila and say, Sheila, how did you do it, taking care of Charles all those years on two hours of sleep a night? I hope Sheila has a chance to say, because God gave me grace. When people come to you and say, how did you raise such nice kids? Don't say, well, let me tell you the book to read. No, no, no. Don't do that, please. Now, if you read a book and it was helpful, great. But first say, God gave me grace to be a parent. And then, of course, there's a book, obviously the Bible, but maybe maybe an addition to the Bible. Here's my point. We like to take credit for God's power and grace in our lives. We like to act like we're somebody. I'm a good man because, well, look at me. And it's God's power and His grace flowing through our lives. And we ought to praise Him for it. Last uh, thing here in, chat, in verse 2. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. We need God to be our God, we need God early, we need God desperately, we need God's power, and we need God's presence to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Now, of course, in David's time there was no temple, there was a tabernacle, and my understanding is that this sanctuary would have been his visits to God's tabernacle, and what was to the Israelites, and it would be to us too. We just don't have a tabernacle. So, to the Israelites, what was the significance of the tabernacle? Go ahead, Alice. It was a place of worship. Yes, that's yes. And also, what else was significant about the the tabernacle? Yeah, God's glory, His presence was there. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is God's special dwelling place today? It used to be at the tabernacle and then, of course, at the temple. But the Bible tells us that God has a dwelling. A spe, God's everywhere. I know that. But a special dwelling place today. I, I see you signaling over here. Where, where is this special dwelling place? It's in us. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we are the temple of God. And his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So here, here's David. He had to get up out of his seat, had to leave the palace, and he had to go to the tabernacle and, and to see God's glory and to be in God's presence in the sanctuary, he had to go someplace. We don't have to go anywhere because God's presence is right here with us. Now, I, we do need to take time out of our busy days, out of our... Our our rushed lives, so often we're, you know, so many different things i got to do today. We don't even think about God's presence, but it's right here. We need to take time and spend time in God's presence because we need God's presence. Now, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from you? I know God is everywhere. Understand, though, that 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. This body is God's temple. And I need to take time. I'm going to use the word to connect. That's not a Bible word, but to connect with God's presence and recognize that He's inside of me and He's right here. And when I need wisdom, it's, it's right here. And when I need grace, it's right here. When I need mercy, it's right here. I, I'm not pointing to me, by the way. It's not me, it's God, the indwelling Holy Spirit. I need God to be my God. I need God early, I need God desperately, I need God's power and I need God's presence. I want to challenge us today to take some time to meditate on this scripture, Isaiah 57:15, meditate on some scripture that reminds you that your walk with God is real. It's vital. And that you need to develop and 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 uh, cultivate that walk with God. Father, thank you for the folks that have come this morning. I know some of them they've they've probably struggled just to get uh, out of bed and to get addressed and to get here and yet they made it they made it a priority and I know speaking for us for myself and for those that have worked to get here we came because we did want to see your presence as Alice said we want this to be our tabernacle where we leave our place of of comfort and and dailiness and spend dedicated time to meet with you. We claim your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. We love you, but we love you because you first loved us. And because we love you, we want to experience again your presence among your people this morning. We want to know that you've met with us. We want to know that you've heard our worship. You've heard our prayers. You've heard our singing. Because it is for you. It's not for us. Help us not to put on airs. Prevent us from putting on a mask or pretending. May we come to you authentically, without pretense, to worship you this morning. Where there's sin, may we be quick to confess it and ask for your forgiveness and, and, and rejoice in your mercy. Where there's discouragement, may we give that to you and allow your encouragement and your grace to fill our hearts. Where there's pride, Where there's pride, Father, we need humility. And I hesitate to ask you to humble us, but that's what we need. We need to be submitted to you. So help us with our humility. Give us a broken and a contrite heart. Because you dwell with those who have a broken and a contrite heart. And you do not despise that type of heart. So help us, Lord, to be humble before you. Thank you for gathering the folks today, for the folks that are still to come. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.